0: becoming one. So it's you and me incorporated. When you and me becomes incorporated, it's two becoming one. And Paul writing in Ephesians chapter 5, he said, I speak to you a mystery. It means that even me, I don't really understand it so much. Our one plus one will not become two, but one. It has to have a spiritual foundation. Anytime you encounter a mystery, You know, normally, what you don't understand, you mystify. It's not everything you don't understand that you should mystify. But there are certain things you don't understand. It's okay to mystify them. Marriage is one of them. But what we have realized is that you can learn the way of the Spirit. You can learn marriage from the mind of God if you would choose to confront marriage not as... Something mundane or so simple that any rational mind can handle. Because there are certain aspects of marriage that is beyond a rational mind. It's beyond a rational mind. What am I saying this morning? This morning I'm speaking to the subject of the covenant perspective to marriage. The covenant perspective to marriage. And the first first foundation I want to lay to this uh, topic... It's the fact that marriage is not a man's idea. Marriage is not a culture of a people. It's not the tradition of a tribe. It is God's idea. It is God's idea. It is God's idea. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. It was God that said, it is not good that a man should be alone Bible says then the Lord no sorry verse verse verse, yeah, verse 18 and then the Lord God said Genesis 2 and verse 18 the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him a helper or make for him a helper that is comparable to him last Sunday we spoke on you know the fact that God created this big garden And put man in charge. And he said, tend and keep it. Cultivate it. Protect it. You are in charge now. And eventually, the Bible says, the Lord looked at that same man in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2 and said, it is not good that man should be alone. So, man did not go to meet God to say, God, what's up now? Some gentlemen, uh, they live in a two-bedroom apartment and... They're already saying this place. Somebody needs somebody now. Inside here. You know, I, I, when, when you think like that, you're thinking of an accessory, you know, or some some something to just light up that place or to just create excitement for, for you. God is thinking beyond that. Man did not go to God to say, This garden is too big. I need somebody to be running around with. Or I need, you know, somebody to play with and all that. It was God that said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make for him a helper that is suitable or comparable to him. So marriage is an idea from God's mind. And to sustain marriage, therefore, we need to look into other ideas from the mind of God. To sustain marriage, because everything is sustained but from its source. I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, we gain sustainership from our source. If marriage is an idea from God's mind, the ideas with which we are going to build our marriage, that will undergird the foundation of our marriage, must also be ideas from God's mind. This is someone to see with me today? So, when you look for ideas with which to you build your home. Where do you go to? Many people go to friends, you know. And they tell you all kinds of things. Sometimes you even allow a friend that has never been married to advise you on marriage. How dumb that heart. And for those people. Because I don't know how uh, uh, your chief advisor should be somebody who has no experience what you are experiencing. And that's the person that now has this great wisdom for you. The truth is that God himself, in his written code that we call the word of God, has his ideas embedded there on how you should run your marriage. We've said it over and again that many Christians don't interact with the word of God. Many Christians don't read the Bible. Many Christians don't read the Bible with a mindset of gleaning wisdom to live their life. Sometimes we read the Bible to quote it. Sometimes we read the Bible to feel our righteousness. After like one week, you have not taught your Bible. say, let me, just, let me just read one chapter. And you can't even say, this, was, this is what I got from that one chapter. But you just feel it's okay. It's just to read it. We read the Bible like a manual for living. It's through the Bible that we're able to say, this is how I should do this as a covenant person or as a kingdom person. As a child of God. That's why it's important that we read our Bibles because when we do that, we glean wisdom on how to live, especially how to live within the subject that we're discussing, how to work out a relationship. So marriage is a covenant relationship and it's not just any type of covenant. The lowest level of covenant is a contract. Sometimes a contract can be a verbal contract. Some other times, depending on what is at stake, a contract can be a written contract. And depending on what is at stake, a contract may need to be endorsed or registered or something. Lawyers know about that. To even make it more valid. But when we come to the realm of covenant, we're talking about something that is beyond a casual agreement. We're talking about Something that takes a dimension of a spiritual commitment. And because it's a spiritual commitment, God demands blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Uh, And uh, the life of the flesh is in the blood. So when uh, there's an exchange, at that level, where life is involved through the blood, that's why the marriage covenant itself, when it's enacted properly, it's also a blood covenant. Blood must flow. Many of us have seen in our local movies, in the Nollywood movies before here, around here in Nigeria and in Africa, how if you want to depict our traditional understanding of covenant, you see two people slitting their wrist and dropping a few blood, a few drops of their blood, maybe in palm wine, you drop your own, I drop my own, we mix it. That's how we cut covenants in Africa. But those are lower level contracts or covenants. The blood of the sinless son of God enacted the covenant that I have with God. It is superior to the blood of sinful people promising themselves something. And if sinful, sinful people promising themselves something will believe that if you go back on that agreement after our lives have been mixed together, which means your life is my life, and my life is your life, that something will happen to you. And they speak to the conscience of nature, and things happen. (laughs) How do you then think that the God of all flesh will go back on his covenant with us? Covenant that rests on the blood of the sinless Son of God. And God placed marriage at that level. That's the level that has placed marriage as a covenant place marriage at that level so a covenant is a spiritual commitment it's unilateral commitment to do your part regardless of if the other person fulfills his or her part in a contract somebody commits to give you X amount of money so that you can do your part maybe it's a building contract, and then they take milestone measurement. And then they dispose again, and then you do your part. The difference between that and a covenant, especially the marriage covenant, and God's covenant with you and I, which is what we can compare a marriage covenant with, is that you go to site without mobilization. All the people in real estate here, do understand what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like building a house for somebody who has not paid you any amount of money. Yeah, Your side is not dependent on the performance of the other person. It is scary, I know. That's the covenant that we're talking about. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21, message translation. I'll read from verse 21 down to maybe uh, verse 32 or so. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse... He said, "Out of respect for who? Christ. I cannot hear you. For who? Christ. As we read this passage, you see Christ, 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 and we're talking about marriage, bringing God into the center of it, because that's what makes it a covenant. Out of respect for Christ, be courteous, reverently to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. You are doing it for Christ. Just follow me." The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their own husband. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wife. Exactly. As Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not just getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Dressing her in dazzling white silk. Radiant with holiness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. They are really doing themselves a favor. Since they are already one in marriage. Look at verse 29. No one abuses his own body. Does he? He feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us. The church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one, one flesh. This is a huge mystery. I don't pretend to understand it at all. It says, uh, what's clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband... Is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. In this passage, rendered in a different way from what we're used to in King James or old, uh, old King James or New King James, it shows how God wants us to understand the covenant of marriage and put it side by side with the way God deals with you and I saying that the same covenant that I have with God is almost like the same covenant that I have with my wife. They are in the same class. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Same class. Yeah. Put it on the same level. Judge it the same level. We live in a time and an age where people don't want to hear God when it comes to marriage. And we don't know that it's the devil that is doing that. Because marriage is not a tradition of your tribe. It was God's idea. How do you get into it or run it without God and think that it will work? That's why marriages are no longer working as they used to. So starting from, I'm even contemplating marriage. I'm becoming old enough to get married. What do I engage in? Am I engaging in prayer? and seeking the wisdom of God on how to go about it, or I become a relationship hustler. Jumping from one to the other and just just thinking, okay, I will, I will learn it as I do it. You know, that's the, that's the mindset of the young people today. Yeah. That is a matter of gaining experience. Yeah. They break your heart there, you mend it, you break, you broke somebody's, they break bottle or something, they broke, you know, Eventually, you become a bundle of experience without wisdom. That's what happens to such people. You've done so many relationships where we cannot see any traits of practical wisdom of God. Because you are busy chasing relationships here and there when the wisdom on how to do it is available. And if you go that direction, in no time we start to see the fruits. Of that wisdom in you. So that when you get into the marriage, practically, we see that this is somebody who has been prepared for this. Success only happens when opportunity meets preparation. There's no success in marriage when we're only seeking opportunity without adequate preparation. All the singles tweet it. Because your friends need to hear that. Success happens when opportunity means preparation. When it's only opportunity you are chasing and you don't focus on preparation, it's a recipe for failure. Big recipe for failure. And for those of us who are already in marriage, we keep seeking to get better and better and better because on a daily basis, marriage creates opportunity to love somebody the way Christ loved the church. So we need to keep putting our A game on on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. That's the only way we can make something serious out of this relationship. Praise God. So one distinguishing factor between marriage as a covenant, I mean, between the, the marriage covenant is the fact that God is in it. It is not just the man and the woman. So let's look at the, 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 the marriage triangle. This is, this is what it looks like. God, man, woman. It's not just there's the lateral part of marriage. There's a the vertical part of marriage. You know what, what we have now? If you see some, some people's marriage, uh, it's not even a triangle, marriage construct or line. It's a straight line. The man is on top, the woman at the bottom. And the line is very long. And they now put a bracket between the top and the bottom. And beside the bracket, you write gap. A huge gap. And that gap can be emotional, can be financial, can be mental, and the one on top, you know, is to show that this is what qualifies me to be here. That's not the way marriage is supposed to be. Marriage is a triangle. God is not it. The Bible says a three-fold cord is not easily broken, not a two-fold cord. And the third fold is God. This is the understanding of marriage as a covenant. It's not just between two people. It's between three people. God wants to be a part of it from inception. So you get used to having him as part of it. You get used to having him as being a huge part of it. So we're partners with the same values, looking at the same God, both of us under the authority of God, and then the the. the, the the woman submitting under the authority of the man. The man, quote and unquote, being the leader, the, the best among equal. Yeah. Or the, the, the leader of the pack, if I can just put it that way. Yeah. Even when it comes to the issue of submission, it was to submit to one another. Yeah. And a man derives his authority from submission to authority, the authority of God. Remember the, 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 uh, the encounter of Jesus with the centurion? The centurion told Jesus, I'm a man under authority. That's how come I understand your authority. Jesus did not disprove it, that he was a man under authority. Because he said, I'm also a man under authority. This was the centurion who asked Jesus to, to heal his son. And Jesus said, I'll come to your house. And the man said, you don't have to come to my house. Jesus said, Why? He said, Because I'm also a man under authority. I say to one, come and he comes. He said, I have hundred soldiers under me. I'm a centurion. I say to one, go, and he goes. I'm under the authority of Rome. It's not because of me, it's because I'm a centurion under the authority as a Roman soldier. All those hundred, no bond them way. The Nigerian in me is coming out. Yeah. Say <laughs> See, all those hundred, they have no choice but to listen to me. I'm under the authority of a Roman as a centurion. If I say to this one, go, he goes. Come, come, he comes. Jesus, you are under the authority of God. You have delegated authority on this planet. Speak only, and my servant will be healed. Because whatever is troubling my servant is under your authority. I hope you understand what I'm saying. So, when you see any authority that is not delegated, it is fake. Including the authority of the president of a nation is a delegated authority under God. The people who use it as if it's not delegated, God takes it and takes the whole thing. Yeah. And then it becomes apparent that it was delegated. So, as a man in the home, let's not behave as if it's not delegated authority. It's because we're good. It's because this and that. It's delegated authority that we have. That's the covenant perspective to marriage. The man and the woman, they are, can you put that triangle back for me? They're both under the authority of God. But there's one head under the delegated authority. Yeah. This is the person that will be asked questions when God wants to ask questions. So he has delegated authority. And whenever you say leadership and head, what you're talking about is the power of vision. The most significant thing on the head, physically, because we learn spiritual things from the physical things that we can see. Most significant here, the eyes and the ears and the nose. All of them help you to make informed decisions and create direction. That is the work of leadership. The man has a responsibility to create a vision for his home. Get the buy-in of his wife. A good servant leader demonstrates what is possible by wanting to go all the way and sacrifice, not to issue out instructions. And a man under delegated authority understands it and wants to leave in such a way that you can cast a vision, get everyone's buying, and move them in the direction of that vision. So the marriage covenant requires that we exhibit the nature of God. but cannot do our part in it, or fulfill it without exhibiting the nature of God. A part of that nature is the nature of, a huge part of it is the nature of love. Two has become one. Nobody hates his own body, but loves it and cherishes it. Like I said before, it's a mystery. How one plus one is not equal to two, but it, it, it's equal to one. So it means that this thing is a covenant, is a relationship that is deeply spiritual. So marriage can be fully, cannot be fully expressed outside of this spiritual construct. Many people want to express their marriage without the understanding of it or accepting the understanding of it as a covenant, and that's what creates the problem. You can't use what you learn in the beer parlor or at the club or reading a secular magazine only to run your marriage you have to put them side by side with the word of God and see if it aligns. If it aligns. Yeah. You can have a fantastic article on the internet, but it can be contrary to what the word of God says. It's not going to run your marriage well. Yeah. Somebody is me to say it louder. (laughs) Praise God. Also, it's important that when a marriage works as it should, it can be One of the greatest ways that you experience the love of God on this planet. When a marriage works as it should, it can be one of the greatest ways by which you will experience the love of God on this planet. I'm telling you the truth. That's why the Bible says, "Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. The greatest love that you can experience on earth. The Bible says there's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his brother. That's the greatest love. When a marriage is according to the law of God, to the word of God, and is me not pushing my agenda, but pushing the agenda of the other person all the time. That's what it means to lay down my life. Jesus died because I need salvation. Left his own agenda and pushed my own agenda. And if it was going to cost him his life, it's okay. Yeah. Today, it's difficult Sometimes, if my spouse's agenda will cost me my money, not my life, it's difficult. I, I, I hope you understand what I'm saying. So I, I'm, I'm saying that you, we need to understand that this thing ultimately will require the help of God. And that's where I'm landing today. Let's, let's look at this quickly as I start to, uh, you know, put all this together. There are many fears that we encounter about marriage as a covenant. But there are two primary ones that I want to speak to as I start to tidy this all up. Two fears people often have about marriage as a covenant. One, the fear of not dealing with our spouses based on met or unmet expectation. I spoke to that a little last week. And I know some people left, you know, with their minds everywhere. It's pastor advocating that we should be coping with irresponsible spouses and looking away when people misbehave. When the pastor says, I should love somebody, I'm going back to school, and I should be looking away, I should be smiling at him. That, that's what some, some people left with that feeling last Sunday. Am I saying the truth? Yeah. To say, I will not breeding irresponsibility. Eh? A woman that has refused to show me care, I should still be buying woman hair for her. <laughs> eh? that's, that's how some people left. I mean, a woman that, you know, I, I come home, I have to ask and shout before there's food to eat. When if I go to my friend's house, as, before we enter, the table is already set. Yeah, As we enter like this, there are three kinds of dishes. My friend will be asking me, what, which one do you want? Coconut rice or this one or that one? Because his wife is the wife. You know, there's a wife and there's the wife. <laughs> Now, that's, that's the way some people left last Sunday. Like, how do I love somebody who does not deserve my love? And you say, God. I've not changed my mind. I just need to explain it a little better. <laughs> I hope you understand what I'm saying. Because we're talking about the word of God here, which is infallible, which does not change based on peculiarities of situations. The Bible says the law of the Lord is perfect, convert, converting the heart. Psalm 19. The, 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 the law of the Lord is perfect. It doesn't facilitate based on the peculiarity. You know, do you know all the peculiar situations we have here? If we are going to be swaying the word of God based on peculiarities, of the, it's like putting the Nigerian constitution and say based on the peculiarity of your situation, we, we change that law temporarily. Yeah, and then the peculiarity is just like, let me distract myself. When somebody, based on one peculiarity, wanted a third term, you know, it's a peculiarity and peculiar situation. Yeah, that, that, that's that's, and we, I mean, and people said, no, let's stay with what we have. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. The way some of us want to run our marriage is to play up the peculiar situation, take it over and above the word of God. With sentiments. When somebody says, ah, uh, uh, the word of God says you should not commit adultery. Uh, God did not marry my wife. That, that's, the way, that's the way some people think. I'm just saying out what some of us think. Yeah. Because uh, this woman that you say hello, I say, uh, before you even say hello, you didn't say I want to do anything. Uh, hello. The shop is always closed. And then the man will say, under the circumstances his word is his word it's a covenant relationship you don't give somebody as an excuse for breaking your covenant with God because that covenant is not just with a woman it's also with God can I get an amen from somebody amen. praise God so two fears one, the fear of not dealing with our spouses based on met or met expectation. It's a great fear. The Bible says that the covenant love that we have in a covenant marriage is not to be regulated by met and unmet expectation. It's an unconditional love. It's not that we don't have expectations, but we don't regulate, use it to regulate our love. We don't use it to regulate how we love. The question is: Some people will say uh, um, this may result in irresponsibility. People will abdicate their responsibility. I still love them, anyhow. Yeah. Somebody's misbehaving, and I'm still loving. Am I not encouraging bad behavior? And it reminds me of the responses we get when we preach about the grace of God, and how grace is a merited favor, and how God will forgive your sins the one you are sinning now, the one you are sinning, he has already forgiven everything. And people say, it's an encouragement for people to keep sinning. And Paul says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he said, no. But yet God has not changed his mind about grace. Because grace has two dimensions. One is a dimension that leads to salvation. The other one, according to uh, uh, Titus chapter 2, it says, uh, the grace of God that brings salvation has a teaching us. To put aside ungodly living. There's a grace for lifting out of the pool of sin. And there's a grace for forgiveness of sin. They work hand in hand. So when somebody enters into the zone of grace, the zone of grace does not mean that you have become perfect. It means that your life starts to go up. It may be like this, like an up and down kind of trajectory, but it's upwardly mobile. Yeah. You are still experiencing a bit of up and down, but you are going up. And as you go up, you are leaving some things behind. That's your zone of grace. yeah. Because the way some people are is like this. Up and down, up and down, but going down. You are outside the zone of grace. The zone of grace keeps you, grace keeps you, but you are upwardly mobile. You can make a mistake to rise, but you are going up and dropping some things behind. In marriage also, we need to create zones of grace. That's why (laughs) it's important for us to notice that focusing on how your spouse ought to meet your need causes you to forget uh, that certain needs uh, only God can meet. I mean, for instance, joy, peace, you know, and all that. That everyone flourishes in an atmosphere of love not criticism, threats, terms and conditions, and all those things. When you hear terms and conditions, you remember contracts. In the covenant, we don't deal with New Testament, New Covenant. There are terms and conditions. In the New Covenant, no terms and conditions. Unconditional love. That's what makes the old text, the covenant different from the New Covenant. This is the atmosphere that people grow. The atmosphere of love, not criticism, threats. If I come home today, and what you expect is compliance, and you think when you get that compliance, that person has changed to never happen again. Nobody gets radically transformed. God has chosen the best path to love us to transformation and submission. And he says marriage must be that same kind of atmosphere, not the other one. And all that is to remind us that there's still somebody at the edge of this matter who ultimately wants to take responsibility for my life. Because if all my expectations have to be met by one person, I don't need God again. Very, very important. So we need to settle it in our heart that we need to learn how to love unconditionally if we will make our marriage work. Lastly, this morning, fear of having to submit. Is another thing that you're afraid of marriage as a covenant. The fear that you'll be taken advantage of, that somebody will take advantage of you as you submit. What we don't understand is that submission is affirming and recognizing your spouse's role and place in the marriage. Why submit to your own husband? Husband love your wife, Ephesians 5, 23 and 25. In both cases, whether love or submission, you do it first as unto the Lord. Submit, I submit as unto the Lord. I love as unto the Lord. Everything we do in marriage, we do on the behalf of Christ. We don't do it because people deserve it. It's like Jesus saying, go into this marriage and represent me. Do it for me. Everything you do, you're doing it for me. You're doing it for me. Can you hear me look at your neighbor and tell your neighbor I will do it for God? It again say I will do it for God. Yeah. Yeah. You're doing it. You're doing it. Doing it for God. Doing it for God. So in marriage, love and submission, they're both acts of reverence and obedience to God who created marriage. So you show your reverence for God through your actions to your spouse. So we don't love and submit. As a response to our spouse's action. But we, we do that as a response to God's instruction. That's why we do that. And it's also important to note that love and submission, they don't <laughs> love and submission don't make you weak or inferior to your spouse. They don't make you weak or inferior to your spouse. It takes great strength to love and submit the way God instructs. Great strength. To love and submit the way of God, the one that is loving and submitting is the stronger one, not the weaker one. Because it takes great strength to love. It takes great strength to submit. But the devil wants to turn it around on our mind to make us feel like the one that is loving and submitting is the weaker one, the doormat. It takes great strength to love and to submit in marriage. First Peter chapter five. And verse number five, can you put that up for me? Let me let me wrap up on that. Says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. All of you be submissive to one another, be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What does that mean? Humility, like I said before is saying your stuff before my stuff i put it ahead of me humble myself it means to pull myself back for somebody to have a right of way yeah when i submit it's the same thing i submit to your authority you have your way then i follow and god says in a marriage where there's no mutual submission love and respect count me and my divine help God resists the proud and gives more grace to the humble a lot of the time when we read that scripture leave it on the screen when we read that scripture we think that God is talking only about individuals and how they should deal with their pride when a marriage is also constructed there's a way we can construct a marriage that the help of God will be very far because there's no love and submission especially submission submitting to one another and submitting to God's authority God resists the proud does not only mean that God shows the proud away no he withdraws his grace which is his divine assistance and help from the proud yeah he holds it back and the proud is the one that is refused to submit and work in humility he said I will hold it back I hold back my help I hold back my grace you know I, I direct it you know in abundance to the one that is humble do you want the help of God to be overflowing over your marriage put it together in a way that shows humility that shows submission to God's authority and submission to one another submission to one another and somebody may be asking the question what happens to couples whose spouses are not in the faith and they keep trying to obey God's word, but they are not seeing any change in their spouses. Or somebody who is saying, what about people dealing with wicked or unreasonable spouses? I'll say this. Spouses who refuse to love, nurture, care, and provide for their spouses or home, when it's within their ability to do so, are unreasonable. unloving it's time to do cost correction because the Bible says you are worse than an infidel if you cannot provide and that provided means money or it means more than money because the need in the house is not only money there are emotional needs that money cannot buy there's companionship you know and all that and everything should be well-rounded but if it's you know somebody outside of this space, who is not listening to the same thing with you, the encouragement from the scripture is that you should not be weary in well-doing. Because the Bible says, you will reap if you don't faint. So don't be weary in well-doing. If your strength is failing, I want you to seek God. Let godly people intervene. And hold both of you accountable. Keep pushing for the marriage to work don't walk out because you feel it's all about me i'm the only one trying you know and all that keep pushing let's keep praying let's keep trusting god that one day this person will listen to somebody from the way god wants marriage to be wrong when jesus explained it to his disciples you know their response if this is the way of the way the life of a man is going to be they said it's better not to marry And Jesus had to to encourage them to say that with man, some things are, (laughs) see? His disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. Matthew 19 verse 10. But Jesus responded to them by saying, uh," But he said to them, all cannot accept this, saying, but only those to whom it has been given if you are married, married right now it has been given it has been given yeah. it has been given yeah. and Jesus also you know, said that uh, with God all things are possible with man it may be impossible but with God all things are possible I hope somebody is following me this morning but it simply means that we need the help of God yeah we need the help of God Romans 8 and verse 26 likewise the spirit also helps our infirmity for we do not know how to pray as we ought to but the spirit helps our infirmity you know praying with us or praying for us with groanings that cannot be altered in articulate speech the spirit wants to help us we need to crave to be filled again and again and to bring God into the mix again and again and to revisit the fact that it takes the help of God to work out a marriage when we become so independent of God We're taking grace out of that construct, it becomes a chore. It becomes very difficult. Rather than two coming to uh, 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 what the Bible says that two are better than one, it becomes two are bitter than one. Because somebody will say, When I was single, my life was better than this. Yeah, I hear that a lot in, in, in counseling. In fact, I've never suffered like this in my life. As a single person, I was happy. I thought I would be happier in marriage but I've been chasing that happiness since. Pastor. When somebody actually asked me, one the pastor, let me go. I said, ah, let, let me go. It's bow. You know? I said, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not holding you. <laughs> I'm not holding you. I, I didn't write the Bible. You know, I'm not the one that wrote the Bible. It requires grace and the help of the the Spirit of God. And that's how I want us to pray today. That God will give us grace. Let's crave the supply of His Spirit this morning. The Bible says that if the Spirit of Him that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, Romans 8 and verse 11, say that same Spirit will quicken your mortal body. That Spirit quickens your emotions and gives you strength it quickens your intellect to accept superior wisdom on how to run your home and receive divine help from the spirit Ephesians 5 and 18 said, don't be drunk with wine which is dissipation but be continually filled with the spirit because you need it to run a marriage to be continually filled with the spirit continually filled with the spirit if you are not continually filled with the spirit there is an overwhelming feeling that can scatter your home and make you misbehave Because what we need to learn and do in marriage is not natural to natural mind. It can only be by the Spirit. Lift your two hands to Jesus this morning. And receive a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. A fresh supply of the Spirit today.